Well, for the uh, next few minutes, we're going to be thinking about just one sentence in the Bible. It's actually one of the greatest sentences about Christmas that you can find in Holy Scripture. Um, It was written by a man uh, who came face to face with the Lord Jesus under the most dramatic circumstances. Um, His name was Paul, and uh, the result was that his entire life was turned upside down. Uh, The sentence is there on the screen in front of us, and in it, Paul explains why this happened. He says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now that sentence has been familiar to generations of Christians because it's included in the prayer book. Uh, When he wrote the prayer book, Archbishop Thomas Cranmer believed this sentence was so important that we should hear it every time we celebrate communion. But uh, this morning I want to speak particularly to people who don't usually come to church. Uh, Maybe for you, even coming to a carol service is, quite honestly, a bit of a mission. Maybe you went to church as a child, and uh, somewhere along the way, you found yourself asking the question, well, why bother about Christmas? And you never really heard a convincing answer. So using that one sentence, which I hope James will put back on the screen... Um, I want to try and answer some of the questions that may have come into your mind as you came to church this morning. Firstly, you might have been thinking to yourself, well, why should I listen? Why should I listen? Well, according to Paul, the reason that you should listen is because what he has to say about Christmas is trustworthy. What he means is that it is worthy of your trust. And the reason that it's worthy of your trust is because it is true. Now, we need to pause on that for just a moment because many people today will say, well, there is no such thing as truth. Uh, We're living in a world where people are quite happy to say, well, I have my truth, you have your truth, he has his truth, she has her truth, Uh, They're all true, but they're all different. And for that reason, the the two stories with which Christmas is associated often get very confused in the public mind. So, on the one hand, there is Santa Claus and the reindeer. Uh, There he is, coming through the snow, making his midnight descent down the chimney. And then on the other hand, there's Jesus Christ, the oxen, the straw, and the baby lying in the manger. I guess if you think about it, there are some obvious similarities between the two stories. Uh, Both stories involve a visit to earth from another place. Both stories involve a descent And both stories tell us about a special person bringing generous gifts to needy people. But of course the fundamental difference between them 
is that Santa Claus is fantasy and Jesus Christ is fact. The men who wrote the four Gospels were writing history. Uh, They wanted us to know that their message was historically true. And so, for example, as we heard in the readings this morning, they pinpoint the life of Jesus in the calendar. Uh, They tell us that he was born when Augustus was emperor in Rome and that he died when Pontius Pilate was governor in Judea. So his life and his death are a matter of historical fact, objective fact. Now I want to ask you to consider that very carefully because if something is objectively true, well, it must be true for everybody. A simple illustration makes the point. If I say to you, please don't sit on that chair because it's got a pin on it, well, it's no good you saying, well, please don't worry. Uh, Pins might be sharp for you, but they're not actually sharp for me. Because when you sit down, you'll discover just how foolish you were to say that. And that's why Paul says that what he has to say about Christmas deserves full acceptance. He means that it should be accepted by everybody. Why? Because it's true. And therefore, it's true for everybody. And that includes you. Well, secondly, on your way to church this morning, you might have been thinking, well, okay, but why does it matter? I mean, after all, something can be objectively true without me wanting to rush out and celebrate it on a public holiday every year. So what is so important about Christmas that for centuries, millions of Christians around the world have met on the same day every year to celebrate the birth of just one person. Well, notice in the middle of our sentence, Paul summarizes the whole message of Christmas in nine words. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, that's what Christmas is all about. But I guess for many people, the the words sinner and save are problematic. Uh, They sound like religious jargon. They've never really been taught what those words mean, and so they dismiss them as irrelevant and meaningless. So what does the Bible mean when it describes all men and women as sinners? Well, imagine with me for a moment that uh, you're on a ship And you're going for a cruise. Uh, It's a beautiful ship, terribly comfortable. And uh, when you first arrive on board, you're welcomed by the captain and uh, the first lieutenant and one or two of the other officers. They seem very competent. And immediately you feel that you're in safe hands. Uh, Over the next few days, you get to know some of the other passengers. And uh, most of them are terribly respectable Uh, They're charming company. And you think, you know what, I feel really at home on this ship. 
But then you meet some of the people below deck, and they are a pretty rough lot. Thoroughly nasty people, actually, and you wonder why you never noticed them before. And then one day you look up and you notice that the flag on the ship isn't the South African flag, it's actually the skull and crossbones. And so you realize in an instant that all of the people on the ship are pirates. Even the respectable people are not what they seemed. Now I know that sounds like a rather silly illustration. But you see, that is how the Bible sees all men and women. Whether we're rough types or whether we're terribly respectable, it says that from God's point of view, we are all pirates sailing under an alien enemy flag. It's telling us that we're enemies of God because we've treated him in the way that we most hate to be treated ourselves. What does that mean? How have we grieved Almighty God? Well, either we've ignored him, uh, not giving him a second thought for years, except perhaps occasionally at Christmas, or we've treated him rather like we treat the emergency services, only contacting him when we're in desperate trouble and in need of urgent assistance. Or worse still, we've told God how we think he ought to be running the world, as if somehow we knew better. Now, friends, think about that. You know, when other people treat us like that, we don't like it. It hurts. But that's how all of us have treated God. But, of course, because he is God the consequences are infinitely more serious. What would you actually expect God to do about that? I suppose if we apply our own standards, we would expect God to come in judgment. Once you begin to see yourself as a pirate, you know that's what you actually deserve. But God is not like us. And the good news of Christmas, and the reason that this matters, is that Jesus did not come into the world to judge us. He came to save us. And that, of course, brings us to the second technical word in that sentence. In the Bible, salvation means freedom. Uh, It's talking about freedom, actually, from four things in particular— We haven't got time to go into that in detail this morning. I'll just mention them very briefly, and you can ask me more about them afterwards. But let me tell you what these four freedoms are that Jesus came into the world at Christmas to give us. First, he gives us freedom from a guilty conscience. You see, the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. We're all sailing under that pirate flag I mentioned a moment ago. Every one of us is guilty, but it also tells us that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus gives us freedom from guilt. 
Second, he gives us freedom from the wrath of God. You see, the thing is, we are living between the first and the second coming of Christ. The first time, Jesus came to bring salvation. But the Bible says that next time he comes, he will be the agent of God's judgment, pouring out God's wrath on all those who've rejected God's Son. But if we turn to Jesus now, we no longer need to fear the wrath of God. We've been set free from it. Thirdly, he gives us freedom from a life of self-centeredness. You know, we've all been, been deceived, I think, into believing that true happiness lies in putting ourselves first, me number one. The advertising industry, of course, are experts at promoting that particular idea. But friends, it's a lie. Self-centered people are not happy. They're lonely, they're dissatisfied, and Jesus came to set us free from that lie. And fourth, he gives us freedom from death. Death is not natural. I wonder if you knew that. You were not born to die. Death is simply the consequence of us turning our back on God. But Jesus came to set us free from the judgment of death. Now, obviously, these four freedoms are invisible. And for that reason, you're quite likely not to think about them at all between one Christmas and the next. So I think it's helpful for just one moment to imagine what life is like for the person who doesn't enjoy them. The person who doesn't have these freedoms goes through their life carrying the burden of guilt without ever really knowing what their life was all about. And at the end of a life lived entirely for themselves, he must face the wrath of God with no hope of life beyond the grave. But Jesus came to save us from all that. Well, thirdly, you might be thinking, well, I can see these things a bit more clearly now, but is this really for me? Well, these priceless freedoms are offered to everyone. But can I suggest the question you ought to be asking is, are they for me this morning? Is God speaking to me today? Well, I can't answer that question for you, but I can help you to answer it for yourself. Please notice, will you, how Paul ends the sentence on the screen. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now notice this. Of whom I am the worst. Now, that is quite a big statement. I mean, we're talking about the Apostle Paul here. Whatever did he mean? Well, obviously, he didn't mean it literally. I mean, what about Judas, who betrayed Jesus? What about the Emperor Nero, who crucified thousands of Christians? Well, obviously, Paul wasn't worse than them. Clearly, he wasn't. No, what's happening here is that the Apostle Paul is showing us what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to trouble our conscience and convicts us of sin. 
And when that happens, you see, we stop comparing ourselves favorably with other people. And we, we become aware of our own sinfulness. And we start to believe that we really are the worst. Some of you will know, I think, that Jesus told a famous story about this to make the point. It was about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Both men went up to the temple in Jerusalem to pray. The Pharisee was terribly confident in comparing himself favorably with others. And so he boasted before God, I thank you that I am not like other men. But the tax collector confessed sadly, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, as far as he was concerned, there were no other sinners with whom to compare himself. And all he could do was ask for God's mercy. And at the end of that story, Jesus says it was this man who went home forgiven, set free from sin, from guilt, and from death. Now, my friend, if you are starting to see, even in a small way, that you are a pirate, deserving only God's wrath and judgment, and that your only hope is actually to cry out to God for mercy, well, that's a good sign. That is a sign that God the Holy Spirit has started to work in your heart. And it also means that the salvation Jesus is offering this morning is very specially for you. There's no cost. There's nothing to pay. Jesus simply holds out his hands and says, I am offering you freedom to begin a completely new life as a free gift. And all you have to do is accept it. So why don't you do that right now in the silence of your heart? Let's be quiet for a moment. I will then pray a short prayer. And if you want to accept the free gift that Jesus came into the world to offer at Christmas, why don't you echo the prayer in your heart? But first, let's be quiet. Jesus, you have shown me that I am a pirate, that I've been living my life in rebellion against you. Thank you that you came into our world to save sinners. I'm turning back to you now. Please wash me clean from all my sins. Please give me a fresh start this Christmas with you as my Savior and my Lord. Please fill my heart with an undying love for you and for others, starting right now. And open my eyes to the wonderful future 
you have prepared for me in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from St. Barnabas Bible Church. For more sermons, visit our sermon library over at sbbc.org.za forward slash sermons. St. Barnabas Bible Church exists to help people find meaning and mission in following Jesus. If you would like to give towards this ministry, here are some ways you can do so.